This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Blogging Theology. Today, I'm delighted to talk again to Dr. Mohammed Ghali. You're most welcome, sir. As-salamu alaykum. Alaykum salam. Thank you very much for having me again. Nice to see you again. Uh, Mohammed Ghali is Professor of Islam and Biomedical Ethics at the Research Center for Islamic Legislation and Ethics at Hamad bin Khalifa University in Qatar. He has a BA in Islamic Studies from Al-Azhar University in Egypt, and an MA and PhD in the same specialization from Leiden University in the Netherlands. Mohammed is the founding editor-in-chief of the Journal of Islamic Studies, published by the prestigious Brill Publishers. In 2019, he became the founding program coordinator of the newly established MA in Applied Islamic Ethics at Hamad bin Khalifa University. Islamic ethics and its intersection with biomedical sciences is Mohammed's main research interest. He is the author of Islam and Disability, Perspectives in Theology and Jurisprudence, and the editor of the volumes Islamic Perspectives on the Principles of Biomedical Ethics, Islamic Ethics and the Genome Question, and End-of-Life Care, Dying and Death in the Islamic Moral Tradition. He is the author of more than 50 uh, publications and an editorial board member of a number of academic journals. He is also the lead principal investigator and research consultant on a number of funded research projects related to the field of Islamic ethics. His publications can be accessed on a link, which I will put in the description below. Now, today, uh, Dr. Mohammed Ghali has kindly agreed to introduce us to the extremely important subject of artificial intelligence and Islamic ethics, a subject much in the news recently. So, over to you, sir. Thank you very much, and thanks uh, again for having me, for uh, addressing this uh, timely uh, and uh, quite complex uh, topic. Uh, if you allow me, I would like to start with a number of uh, comments and Please. introductory remarks about this. As the um, uh, viewers can see, uh, uh, this is an image uh, from the uh, Kaaba, from the Holy Mosque in Mecca. Yeah. And this is the image uh, uh, given by an article that speaks about a project in the two holy mosques in both Mecca and Medina about using artificial intelligence to make the visit of the two holy mosques uh, um, uh, much more comfortable than it is now. Uh, 
one of the of the of the of the big um, uh, let's say challenges and difficulties for the administration responsible for the two mosques is the crowdedness and uh, that uh, at uh, sometimes especially with the uh, five um, uh, daily prayers uh, it's very crowded so they use now specific ai enabled programs to manage this crowdedness and to make it a bit easier they have also an, a number of other programs mm. like uh, distributing uh, zamzam water uh, uh, in a way which is uh, Uh, less uh, um, uh, risky when it comes to uh, communicating uh, uh, infectious diseases. Uh, they use also um, robots for providing information for the visitors and so on. So, the, 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 say, I, I was there a few months ago, alhamdulillah, for Hajj, actually. Uh, and uh, uh, even though there were literally millions of people, I forget how many, two to three million people there at that time, I was actually very impressed with the level of organization that things did seem to move, although it was very crowded, don't get me wrong, but there, there was a clear sense of organization going on uh, at an incredibly sophisticated level. And I was generally surprised, well, not surprised, impressed is a better word, with the, the, the competency and organization of uh, the, the people who are managing the haram. Um, but apparently it not always been like that, so it's quite so well done. So maybe the AI... Had, had played this crucial role in that experience of Hajj a few months ago. Yes, of course, it's a, it's a multi-factor uh, thing, but uh, it, it's it's quite possible that the the increase increasing use of AI and AI-enabled programs would make this helpful. The point I want to make here um, is the following: Number one is that AI is everywhere, including the holy mosques. Wow. So, so, so it is not only in research. It is not only ChatGPT. It is not only in business. Not only in economics. Not only in social media, but even in the religious domain. Even from from Muslims, uh, it's in the background uh, of your visits to uh, the holy mosques. This very uh, important and significant religious experience for Muslims. This is one. The second is the aim of using AI here is very similar to the overall aim that we want to use AI for, making our life more comfortable, wow. uh, 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 less uh, less problematic, less painful, uh, less challenging. Uh, so let the the machines, the smart machines, do the difficult part, uh, yeah. the boring part of our work, uh, the most physically demanding. Uh, so uh, this gives us also something about the life we are living in uh, at the moment. AI is everywhere. AI uh, has a promise uh, that our life will be easier. Uh, our life will be more comfortable, will be more luxurious. Um, and this is, we see, this is just, an, uh, as I said, a photo from a newspaper newspaper. Uh, um, uh, article speaking about uh, uh, the use of AI in the two holy mosques. And, and there is now a dedicated uh, department in the administration of the two holy mosques responsible for um, uh, responsible for uh, the use of AI in, uh, in the, the mosque of Mecca and the mosque of uh, Medina. So uh, uh, this is, sorry, So this is the, the situation um, uh, at the moment. 
Uh, so this is just an, an, an entry point, an introductory remark. Uh, the other introductory remark, if I may uh, continue, is about um, uh, how, how we can frame the AI in mm. our modern time. W where do we stand now, historically speaking? When we read uh, any uh, mainstream secular uh, works on AI ethics, on the ethics of artificial intelligence, we see that uh, AI is uh, categorized as part of the so-called fourth industrial revolution. So uh, we had three before, hmm? starting from the use of steam, uh, passing by electricity, uh, the um, social media and digitalization and so on. So we had three revolutions before and now we are in the fourth revolution and AI is part of it. So we use it in the term of revolution. Uh, it's, it's not, it's not uh, a normal uh, or conventional development but it, there is a rupture, there is a revolution. And this revolution is not only scientific or technological, but has also uh, very heavy ethical implications. I would say as, as someone whose specialization is Islam in general and Islamic ethics in particular. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. I would call this to avoid the the debate we have now. Is it a revolution? Is it just a, a, a new step uh, in the developments that we have gone through uh, our um, uh, human history? Whatever I would call, I would put this in the in in in, in a continuum of uh, 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 disruptive shifts. Uh, so, so sometimes we come across important shifts in our history, whether we call it revolution or not. So put, put these difficult or controversial terms aside. Sometimes we have shifts that will uh, have huge impact on society, on culture, on our moral world, uh, uh, asking us to rethink uh, um, what we believe uh, is the best uh, tool to judge our acts, our behavior, uh, to evaluate what we are doing as good and bad. Uh, through the lens of Islamic history and what we have seen, I would say, and, and here we can go to the next slide, uh, we uh, uh, can see that, uh, the next one. Uh, which, which slide? Uh, the, the next. Okay, the next one, yep. Industrial revolutions over time, yep. No, the one after this. Oh, uh, number five, I beg your pardon. Yeah, this one. Yes, this one. So I would say that uh, in, in, uh, when, when Islam was born as a religion, uh, the, the dominant culture was oral, the orality. Mm. So um, uh, Quran was recited uh, 
in the first instance before it was written. Uh, the Sunnah was transmitted uh, from one to one through the chain of transmitters. Uh, uh, poetry was memorized by the Arabs uh, where Islam started in the Arabian Peninsula. So orality was the dominant culture. And then we had an important shift. Uh, like maybe second, third century, we started to have this important shift to, to, to move from one dominant form of culture to another dominant one, which is the book tradition, the manuscript. That, that knowledge will not be only learned from scholars or teachers, and it will not be uh, transmitted from mouth to mouth, but it will be written down in a book which we now call a manuscript. This shift was not an easy one. Uh, uh, um, and if we read the works of early uh, of Muslim historians and important uh, intellectuals in Islamic history who lived this period, I take here the example of Al-Jahiz, uh, the very famous uh, man of letters, Adib al-Arabiya, as they call him, uh, he spoke, for instance, in his book Al-Hayawan, The Animal, uh, um, extensively about this shift. And uh, he made it in the form of a dialogue with one of his friends. We know that sometimes this dialogue is just um, uh, uh, created by the author. It's not real. And sometimes it is real. But anyhow, he's speaking to a voice that was echoing in his culture at this time. Mm -hmm. uh, people saying that it's not good to move to the book tradition. And it's better to keep uh, 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 transferring knowledge through orality, mm -hmm. uh, through the oral form, not the written form. And Al-Jahiz was defending this shift. Right. We need, he said that at this historical moment, we, we, we need to have this shift. One of his uh, arguments which we see also coming back in the AI, he said that human cognitive capacities cannot grasp the increasing bulk of knowledge that we are witnessing now. Islam is becoming a civilization. Uh, 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 books are translated also, also from outside the Islamic tradition. Uh, Muslims are producing knowledge in all disciplines, not only religious domains, but also scientific, astronomical, and so on. And he said that we cannot keep memorizing uh, and, 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 and preserving knowledge in memory because our memory is limited. Mm. So the best way to preserve knowledge now is to put it in writing, to have it in a book. Otherwise, it will be too difficult for the people. Now we say the, the, the uh, information available in the internet is just uh, too much for us to grasp. So what should we do? We use the uh, generative AI. We put all this into ChatGPT, and then we ask ChatGPT. So uh, it, I, I'm just trying to make some parallels, but this was a shift. He's trying to defend this. What I want to say also important as a historical context, at this time, the move or the shift from orality to the book tradition, Islamic civilization was at, was in a good shape. I don't want to say in, at its peak because we, we, we always have uh, different opinions about when was the peak or when was the going down. But anyhow, it was, it was in a good state. So the discussion was healthy.
some would say it's not good to do this shift. Others would say it is good to do this shift. Uh, in in the uh, um, uh, education circles, some scholars were not happy with this shift. And uh, within this historical context, we can understand the statements like Don't take knowledge from Sohufi. Sohufi now we call it uh, journalist, but it's not this in this early time. Sohufi is the one who has Sohuf, the one who has written documents. Uh, so don't take it from take it directly from the mouth of your scholar. And in order to be a good scholar, you should be approved by someone. Uh, now you have a book, you can read the book, and then there is no supervision about your knowledge, so things can go wrong. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the same concerns that we have now, mm -hmm. that knowledge will have no control. Yeah. But, but the, the Islamic civilization was in a good state and could lead this uh, uh, shift and, 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 and manage it in a good way, and even uh, at the technological level, if we, if we may say technological at this time, uh, we uh, uh, the um, uh, industry of making paper uh, was uh, thriving in the Islamic civilization. They could produce uh, papers with high quality, make it available as much as the people need. We had professions uh, coming into existence like the copyists, al-warraqoon or al-nasakhoon. So things moved and continued in this regard. And then we have the shift, another important shift from the book tradition to printing. So the Islamic world started to have libraries, huge libraries, a huge number of books. So the book tradition became the dominant of course, the, the oral tradition did not die out. Still, you need to read this book loudly yeah, in, the, in, in, the, in, the, in the presence of a religious scholar who would give you license or ijazah for the book. But the book was there. And you can go to the libraries, you can read them, but they were all handwritten. Yeah. So the number of copies remained limited. With printing, in the 15th century, we will have another important shift. The number of copies that can be done uh, uh, exponentially increased. And we will use a machine instead of the copyists. So there is a profession that will be threatened. Remember that when the Ottoman Empire, the Ottoman Empire was, was the political unifying unit for Muslims at this time, uh, when there were ideas to uh, introduce the printing, technology, modern technology at this time, the copyists in Istanbul uh, made uh, a virtual uh, or symbolic funeral where they put the tools of writing and they made like, like a funeral saying that uh, their, their profession is going to die wow. if, we, if we allow printing to get into Istanbul and the Ottoman Empire. That's why it took the Ottoman Empire about 50 years to to have uh, um, to allow printing in the Ottoman Empire mm. and to to have uh, um, a printing house using uh, uh, um, um, Arabic language. It took uh, hundreds of years, about about 300 years, to be introduced. So you see wow. here now with this shift. Uh, the Muslim world is not the leading one anymore. So mm -hmm. printing is by Gutenberg, uh, 
Uh, so we speak about the West, not the Muslim world. Uh, things will be imported to the to the to the um, exported to the Muslim world. Uh, um, there is an easiness. We take much more time than usual uh, before, uh, compared with the previous um, uh, um, uh, shift. Uh, um, and in in seventeen hundred, and I don't remember the exact year, seventeen hundred fifty or seventeen hundred forty-five, something like this. Ibrahim Mutafarriqa, the one who uh, introduced uh, or brought the uh, the print uh, the printing to the Ottoman Empire, he had to take not only a permission or license from the the Ottoman Sultan, but also uh, a, a fatwa from Sheikh Al Islam was in Istanbul at this time, and the fatwa of Sheikh al-Islam said, you are allowed to print books outside the religious domain. Religious books not allowed. And there were so much uh, discussions and argumentation, why excluding the religious books? I, I wrote a study myself about, about this and what kind of arguments they were used. So the Quran couldn't be printed. Uh, uh, the fiqh books couldn't be printed, theological works couldn't be printed, and so on. We see by time that not only the religious books will be printed, but even the mushaf, and we will have uh, special centers, like for instance, the, the complex for printing Quran, Majma' al-Malik Fahd in Saudi Arabia. Mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia would uh, take pride in having this complex that they print copies of the Quran, they distribute it to the Muslim world. I think by the beginning of the 20th century, we see fatwas from religious scholars classifying printing as one of the divine gifts mm. and for the Muslims. You see here the shifts are taking time. Mm. Now, in order not to take also more time for us, uh, the shifts from printing to digitalization. So, so uh, things were printed, but they had a physical uh, 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 form. So you have a book, you touch it with your hand, you yeah. uh, uh, go through it, etc. So, for instance, uh, uh, when I was uh, writing my uh, dissertation on disability, uh, th there are no books on disability. You, you cannot imagine that uh, scholars in the beginning of Islamic history or a couple of centuries ago, wrote books about disability. This is a new concept, a new uh, uh, term that we use now. So they must have written about this within the broad discipline of fiqh. So if I want to uh, look for a disability in, in a fiqh book, I need to read sometimes 30 volumes to go through them in order to uh, find it. So we started to have difficulties with the volume of books and going through every single page in order to look uh, for what we need because because the number of books is increasing uh, uh, um, uh, we cannot grasp uh, this uh, explosion of publications and so on so we digitized uh, um, our our print culture so that it will be recognized each letter as a digit not as an image so that I can search it, I can get into the book, and I write the term, for instance, a'ma, blind. Mm -hmm. I can write the term diff, and then in a couple of seconds, I will get, um, I will scan the whole book, which would have taken me months or maybe years. Mm -hmm. 
So we started to have this digitalization, and with this, within this revolution or this important shift, we had the social media. So we all became authors. Yeah. So you do not have only the one who will write a book, uh, 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 printed, put in the library, you go to the library, you subscribe, and then you have the knowledge. No, we all became authors. I can uh, start a Facebook or Twitter account, and I call myself Aristotle. <laughs> and no one would say, how come you call yourself? It's my freedom, and I do whatever I want. <laughs> and I write in the capacity of the digital Aristotle. Or but, Plato. But, but also, if I may, that interesting point. Uh, although you're, you're painting a, a clear linear progression from orality to book, to a handwritten book, to printed book, to digitalization, and so on, the reality is, you talk about orality at the first stage, the oral transmission of knowledge. What is YouTube? A lot of Muslims, young Muslims, get their knowledge of the deen from uh, talks on YouTube. Literally, you know, uh, the many people, Hamza Zortzis, random example, Hamza Zortzis gives talks on YouTube. And so people are, through the oral communication, are acquiring knowledge, good knowledge in this particular case, uh, back to that very early tradition. So it, what I'm trying to say is not always a simple linear progress. Things can flip, can circle back again in new ways, which are reminiscent of an earlier stage. Does that make sense? Yes, that's true. But uh, uh, throughout all these shifts, it doesn't mean that the previous one died out completely. Exactly. So when we had the book tradition, orality did not die out, but the dominant changes. So what right. is the dominant? Yes, this was the shift. Right. But the other forms did not die out. Now, in, in the age of AI, now, we still have, I, I have my own circles with my people, our shiuch, and we read a book. Right. And uh, I read, and he will correct me what's right and wrong. But is this the norm? Is this what we all are doing now? No. So, so in, with every shift, it doesn't mean that uh, the previous one die out completely, but it will be at the sideline, and then something else comes to the center. Your point, uh, sharp-minded uh, remark about the new orality now that we have, yeah, and that people will have it. This is not the old orality. No, no. But, but, this is, but, this but, is but, the orality in the age of digitalization. But it's a new kind of orality. It's not, but as you, you, yeah. you said, we're not disagreeing, but it's a, an orality in a new way. But it's still orality. You, you, as people are still uh, getting their knowledge, the people who are talking to them, but it's not face to face anymore. It's not like an actual shake talking to a student. It's through the medium of YouTube or e even TikTok or Instagram or or. Or whatever so yeah absolutely uh, just let me give you an, a, a little example through an anecdote yeah i um, I, I think it was sufian thawri one one of the early muslim traditionists uh, scholars of hadith and uh, his students would come to his house in order to hear some hadith from him so that they have the isnad right he used to have a dog in front of a guard dog in front of his house Right. And when the students come, the dog will bark at them and will scare them. So they go away. And then uh, some will not come back. A, a few, uh, a, a less number would come again to try. And then the dog will run after them. And then again, uh, less people till he uh, uh, believes that uh, now only the serious students 
are remaining and they keep coming and taking the risk of being uh, um, scared by the dog then mm-hmm. he will open the house and they come in and he would uh, relate a hadith to them right, right. and once they came to the house and they are all afraid to the dog from the dog but there was no dog and they came and started knocking the door and they found him and he was a bit sad they said to him why are you sad and where is the dog and he said mata man kana ya'muru bil ma'rufi wa yanha 'anil munkar so so the dog who would, who used to make screening for the students is not there anymore to differentiate between the serious and the non serious this is the orality in the pre modern now yeah. the orality is you have youtube yeah? Uh, you use your um, uh, earphones uh, uh, while you are cycling, uh, running, uh, jogging uh, in the gym, and you listen to a lecture about usul fiqh. Yeah. Uh, so, Yannis, you wouldn't wouldn't be very happy with this. Would this happen? Uh, so, so, so it is a reality, but not not the old reality. Whether we think that this is the better version, worse version, things yeah. change. Yeah. Yeah, so my last remark to get into the AI in the in the dig- digitalization, uh, not only that we were late. I mean here by we Muslims who are involved in the Islamic scholarship, not only late, but uh, we were not uh, well represented. Mm-hmm. So the 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 legacy of Western scholarship was almost completely digitalized. Mm-hmm. So you will not find difficulty in finding any book of Aristotle or Plato or uh, Durkheim or any other intellectuals available in a digital form. You can search it. Everything is neatly uh, digitized and everything is perfect. We didn't do this in Islamic scholarship. Yes, we have a Shamila, one of the programs very, very widely used among uh, students and researchers. Uh, but very limited and not to be compared with what happened in the digitalization of Western scholarship. So much of our literature is not available in digital form. And and when we make it digital, it is scanned. So it is scanned as a book, as an image, not as a digit. So you have the book scanned, but there is no OCR, the so-called OCR. There is no t- technology that will help you to search word by word. And I mean here the Arabic. So so the, the, the language lagged behind. The scholarship in this language lagged behind. So the best thing you can is that you will have a scanned form of the book. You can save it on your computer. But again, you need to read the whole book. Mm-hmm. And you go through the whole book because the book is not digitized. While we were not ready in the shift, the disruptive shift of digitalization, AI came to us. So we are not well represented on internet, even when it comes to social media. The the Arabic content on social media is much less quantitatively speaking and much lower qualitatively speaking than what's available, let's say, in English, for instance. So so we had a problem and we didn't solve the problem yet. And then we came into the AI. In AI, let's take the example of, of uh, the most famous now uh, generative AI form, uh, ChatGPT. ChatGPT will answer your question based on 
what is only digitally available. Yeah. So AI will never uh, uh, have access to a book about Al-Ghazali, which not. is not available in a digital form. Yeah. So yeah. when you ask a question, if the book is not on the internet, in yeah. a digital form, it means you are not existing. It's like when we had the modern nation state and people should have a birth certificate to prove that they are, they are, they exist. Right. And if you don't have a birth certificate, then you do not exist. Now, if, if your scholarship, if your knowledge is not on internet, then you are not existing. And the answers given by all these programs, you will not be there. So right. this is where we are now at the moment. Uh, this new shift that we have, I would say uh, uh, it, it is it is a, as big a challenge, maybe a bigger, but at least as big a challenge as the shifts that we witnessed before. Mm -hmm. What makes it more difficult and more challenging is not only how revolutionary AI is, but how um, uh, um, unprepared we are. So we, we were not good in the, in, in the shift of digitalization, in the disruptive shift of digitalization. AI uh, is uh, very much disruptive, much more like the other shifts, in the sense that uh, you, the control is much less than before. So now who is controlling the AI? When we had the printing, and to a certain extent, when we had the digitalization, it was the modern nation state. Uh, so up to, up to the book tradition, there were the empires, uh, Ottoman Empire, Byzantine Empire, and so on. And then mm. we had the modern nation state that would have control, for instance, allowing this book will be printed, but this book will not be printed. Now, this is not even in the modern nation state. Yeah. It is in the hand of tech giants. It's Google. It's uh, Twitter. It's OpenAI. Uh, it's Microsoft, and these companies, uh, we, we did not elect you and I or anyone else, we did not elect the CEOs of these companies. These, uh, the CEOs are used because they can serve better serve the interests of the shareholders. Hmm. So, so there is an economic drive behind. There is a new liberal philosophy behind. It is not true that these companies are neutral. These companies, they have their own moral world. They have, they have aims to achieve and, 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 and things to serve. Uh, whether we like it or we dislike it, but this is the situation. We need to be aware of the full historical context in which we are at the moment. And all these companies, of course, all of them, I think, are American-owned and run. So they they basically come from the world's only superpower at the moment. Anyway, it's becoming increasingly multipolar, but nevertheless, they are centered in the American heartland. And but but also China comes to mind because uh, I presumably China is not just going to slavishly follow uh, the American companies. Indeed, it doesn't allow most American companies to even operate in their own territory. So it's still there. Although I take a point about it being stateless when it comes to these american corporations truly global china however and maybe russia i don't know are, are, are setting firewalls are they not or boundaries around these companies and maybe creating their own indigenous forms that are easily controllable by the governments of those countries china and to a lesser extent russia are the two big examples to prove the rule that we have now
So mm. they are states and they can have to a certain degree control of even the AI technology in their countries. But beyond China and even Russia, uh, we have companies, we don't have states. We have companies that can punish states. Yeah. Uh, we have we have an, an American president who has been silenced in an overnight. So all these social media companies decided uh, uh, block all the accounts. No question about it. You mean President Trump, of course, not our current one, Biden, but the previous. Uh, yes, uh, yes. Uh, what do I mean? This is this is an incident. So it can happen again and again. So if yeah. if, I, if I have problem with you and you aren't the president, I can punish you. Not the opposite. So, uh, so this is, this is the power. When, when Sam, uh, yeah. Sam Altman uh, visits uh, countries, he's meeting with the presidents and the prime ministers, yeah. uh, not just the CEOs of the technology companies. He is representing the open AI republic or, or monarchy. I don't know. But this is the power uh, that we have now. So we need to understand what is the moral wealth of these companies. Uh, it's it's not possible that they have no morality. They have. They must have. They have things that they find important, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, um, uh, they they wouldn't sacrifice them. Like for instance, maximizing profits and minimizing losses. Yeah. Can we imagine that Google would say uh, this uh, this product is great? It will bring us great money, but may offend some people. Let's say minorities in uh, Myanmar. Uh, okay, then we stop it. I don't think they will. Because what is more important than what? They have their own way of weighing this. We need to understand the internal morality of these companies to know what we are heading to. I mean, I, I suppose that some people might say that this increases the, the need for, the urgency to even think about political unit, unity in, in the Muslim states in terms of the caliph or the imam having a, or having a, a, a system a political system that unites Muslims such that the Muslims are just not at the mercy of American corporations. Because we're, we're dealing with things, not just AI, but things like pornography. We're dealing with all sorts of ideas which uh, are seen as having a very negative impact on people's mental health, their lives and their families and so on. And maybe not adopting a China model, which is very much kind of within our national state borders. Within it, If the Muslim world could organize and regulate and manage this technology in a way that's beneficial, to Muslims, rather than, as I say, just allowing um, the American liberal uh, uh, monoliths to come in and affect ways which many Muslims would see as harmful to their, their, their faith, their society, their families. So that, that this might raise this issue again about political uh, structures that can, that, as I say, can protect people rather than just be the victims of these movements. I, I, I am not sure if uh, if we have here to do, if we can uh, frame it this way, American uh, new liberal philosophy against uh, Muslim or Chinese. I don't think these binaries are the best. To, to, uh, I'm not sure yet. Eh? I'm, I'm, I'm still thinking loudly together. But for instance, the CEOs of these companies, many of them are from India and they are born and raised in India. But... Uh, they are not Indians, they are not Americans, they are Google, they mm. are Microsoft. Uh, mm. th th that is where they belong. Uh, you remember uh, before we had the tribe, the tribal system. So your belonging to the tribe is much more to the land where you are living. 
Mm-hmm. I think now the belonging of these engineers and these EOs is to the company, not 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 to a specific country or to a specific, um, let's say, Western or Islamic philosophy or whatever. Uh, they are coming to serve specific goals and specific aims. At the end of the year, we must have more profits. Otherwise, you will lose your job. Yeah, that, 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 that's it. So you can say that uh, social media and um, specific algorithms uh, can raise um, inclinations to committing suicide, for instance, right. among adolescents. And we have now some studies uh, uh, proving that. I, I don't think that Facebook or or or, or, or uh, ChatGPT or AI would care too much about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, yes, it is a concern, and they would sit with you and try to find a solution, but it wouldn't be as disturbing for them as losing uh, um, the value of uh, shares. They would be much more uh, concerned uh, when when this happens, that they will lose people uh, and followers and so on. This, this is how it works, to, to the best of my knowledge. I'm, I'm not an IT person, but this is how I see it from an ethical perspective. Right. Okay. Yes. So, if, if you allow me to continue, or unless please, you have questions, no, 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 I'm, yeah? I'm very okay. interested in what you're sorry to interrupt. So the the other point. So this is this is the historical background, and I think any discussion uh, without uh, uh, recognizing and understanding the significance of of history will be a big problem. Uh, uh, we need to be aware where, where do we stand and 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 from where did we come? One of the big questions now. I, I don't want to get into the detailed questions like privacy, confidentiality of information, uh, uh, the um, value alignment. These are all uh, detailed issues. Uh, in in the short time that we have, I would like to dedicate it to the big picture. Right. Uh, which will help us get into all the detailed questions. And if, if you want us to get into detailed questions later, I can. I think one of the big challenges uh, that uh, we have now here is that throughout history, from the orality and before, up to the AI, up to the new shift of AI, we used to uh, think of us as humans dealing with others. It doesn't matter what or who is the other. Mm. But we are living in a network of beings or in the religious terminology, creatures around us. Mm. We need to put each of these others into a specific category so that we can develop the right set or package of obligations and rights. Otherwise, it will be chaos. So... Uh, for instance, uh, uh, from from the Greek tradition onwards, including the Islamic tradition, up to our modern time, we have the so-called hierarchy of beings. Uh, uh, Muslim scholars would call it maratib al-wujud. So as beings in this universe, we are not the same. We have... Uh, uh, um, an ordered uh, or ranked order of beings. At the bottom, we have the inanimate objects, non-living beings, stones, uh, uh, minerals, uh, um, uh, dust, sand, mountains. These are all jamadat, as we call them in Arabic. So this is at, at, at the bottom line. And then higher, you have plants. Plants, they have life. 
but they don't have soul. So you do not kill an animal, a, a plant. So the plant, you can cut it into pieces as long as the, the root is in the ground, can grow again and so on. Mm. And then you have the animals and at the highest you have the humans. In the inanimate objects there is no life. With plants we have life. But plants do not have mind. They do not think. Mm. The thinking would start from the category of animals. And then it will reach its climax with humans. Of course, within this hierarchy, uh, scholars would also speak about uh, the uh, non-visible beings, like uh, al-jinn, uh, angels, al-mala'ika, and so on. But we put these aside because in the age of AI, uh, nobody would say AI is a jinni or AI is an angel. These metaphysical issues are very materialistic now. So uh, let, let's keep this for... Uh, these four categories. We have inanimate objects, then plants, then animals, and then humans. Usually, at the bottom, we will never conceive or imagine that it would think or have cognitive capacities. Mm. It's usually very passive. It doesn't, do, it doesn't do anything. Now, we have a machine, which is usually jamad, uh, in inanimate objects, non-living being, that has the uh, intellectual capacity that would be equal or higher or faster or bigger or more efficient than animals and sometimes than humans even. So the question that would disrupt and disturb us all the time now from now on, where are we going to put these uh, new AI systems? Where do they stand in this hierarchy that we used to have? Are they in, in the inanimate objects, Jamadat? Anybody can say, of course not, because they think. They have neural networks, and neural networks modeled on the humans. Okay, sh should we put them in the plants? Should we put them in the animals? Should we put them in the humans and so on? We have now a very big discussion about this, about the moral standing of AI systems, especially humanoid robots. So they have the human shape, they have the human intellectual capacity and cognitive capacities. And if we put them, uh, so, so m m most of the discussions now, especially in the secular AI ethics, we would put them, try to put them either in the category of animals or in the category of humans. So we have some writings saying that uh, um, robots should be treated as slaves. And then the counter-arguments, robots shouldn't be slaves, and so on. We have a whole genre of works now, so-called robot rights. So we had human rights, then we had animal rights, and now we have robot rights, especially those assuming humanship, humanoid robots. My own ijtihad in this regard, based on my studying and reading on this, I may change my mind. Colleagues may uh, be convinced of what I'm saying. We will see. I'm, I'm writing a couple of research papers about this at the moment. I would say that uh, uh, what would uh, plants and animals in the lower category and animals and humans in the higher category was not the cognition, was not the conscience, was not awareness, was not sentience. It was the soul, a ruh. 
And that's why the religious scholars would say, including philosophers, theologians, jurists, would say the two lower categories, plants and animals, they would call them mala ruhalahu, the non-insoled beings. Animals and humans, they would call them insoled beings, zawatul arwah, or malahu ruh in Arabic. So what makes animals animals and what may, are the human are the are the animal soul and what makes humans humans are are the are the human souls and insoling insoling the act of insolment is a divine act not a human one yeah I, so, although i i think it's a very well, good issue to have but also the question of i mean as a well, layman uh is the question of consciousness and will volition um it doesn't strike me that ia is, is conscious uh, or, or willful in the sense of a, a conscious being, you know, it's still automated. It's still, it's still more like digitalization perhaps than than human consciousness or, or even animal consciousness and volition, because they don't have like moral autonomy. They don't have awareness, uh, consciousness, uh, as I say. Or, or uh, so uh, I, I'm I'm not impressed about giving. Uh, automated objects that that can't think and and uh, be aware and feel um, the status of right giving them rights because rights pertain to sentient beings and I but anyway that that would be my initial response. Uh, I I would say that all these if we if we take these issues as the the fundament or the basic from an Islamic perspe perspective would always have uh, uh, an endless debate. Because you can say to me, they don't have a will. Mm. They don't have autonomy. Yeah. They are always depending on the programmer, the one who, who programmed them. Uh, this is now a big debate. Uh, one of the big fears now from the AI, specifically generative AI, is that engineers themselves are afraid of the so-called control problem. Mm. That AI systems would do things outside the will of the one who developed them, mm. and and so we will have a problem. Do they have a will? Do they have? A, for instance, the cars, the driverless cars. They call them autonomous cars. Yeah. From a philosophical perspective, autonomy is a human thing. is 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 not for a machine to be autonomous. The car cannot be autonomous. Mm. They would say to you, oh, "No, but it is." So we can argue. Mm? We can argue about this. Do they have feelings? They don't have feelings. So in order to get out of these controversial issues, I would say Muslims, Christians, Jews, people who have a belief in a non-physical a non component of our humanness, which we call soul or spirit or psyche, whatever you call it. In Arabic, we say ar-ruh. Then we have to come to the conclusion that AI systems, even if they assume the, 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 the human form, humanoid robots, cannot be in the category of animals, cannot be in the category of humans. Why? Because they do not have a soul. How do we know that they don't have a soul? This is a divine agency, not a human agency. As yeah. humans, we cannot create a soul. A soul is breathing the soul into the embryo. Human embryo or animal embryo is a divine act, and we have religious and scriptural references telling us this clearly. Uh, uh, then an angel is ordered or commanded by God to breathe the soul into the embryo. So, uh, avoiding uh, uh, these metaphysical issues in the name 
of having universal morality and to speak a language mm. like the secular ethical discourse, I would say this is quite problematic and we will lose religious wisdom. The soul should come to, to, the, to the center of the, of, the, of the discourse. So uh, you cannot say to me, do you have an intellect equal to humans? Maybe soon it will be uh, outperform humans uh, in general. And, uh, we speak about uh, uh, general artificial intelligence. It has outperformed humans in domain specific uh, uh, discipline. So, so we had uh, programs that could beat the, uh, the 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 world champion of chess, uh, the world champion of other games. So it can outperform humans, but in general, not yet. We don't have a general artificial intelligence that do better than uh, that do better than us. But um, uh, different uh, gurus in the field tell us within five years. We will have AI systems with neural network equal to the neurons in the human brain. So technically, we will reach this level. Uh, but I would say again, what it, it doesn't matter how how close it becomes to the humans. It cannot be a human. It cannot be an animal because there is a soul here in the equation, and the soul is a divine thing, not not a human thing. So I would put it in the lower category in the lower category. And in the lower category, it doesn't mean that they are nothing. Hmm? In, in Islam, hmm, you cannot destroy plants just like this because they are soulless and they don't have a soul. Of course not. At the end, they are God's creatures. Uh, they can have uh, what we call a financial value, malun mutaqawwam. And, and this money is, 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 is a gift uh, from God that should be preserved and, and, and should be respected. Even in any made objects, uh, houses, uh, they have uh, values. Uh, you cannot just destroy them like this. So, yes, put them in the lower category. And this doesn't mean that you can do whatever you like with the human, humanoid robots. You have to respect their owners, for instance, uh, and uh, especially when they have um, a high uh, uh, financial value. They are um, uh, providing benefits uh, to um, our um, human life. They are uh, making our life easier. Uh, they are providing public benefits, masalih and so on. But we shouldn't, in the name of uh, um, being impressed uh, by by their performance and that they can outperform humans. And we say that, yeah, in order to speak a language that uh, secularist ethics also would understand, then put the soul outside uh, the discourse and, and then we can discuss if they are equal to humans or not. I, I, I really warn my colleagues not to get into this direction and uh, um, a secular ethicist should know that there are different perspectives about yeah. human nature. No, I think you're absolutely right. We, we, we need to, uh, because if the AI is expressed in terms of secular ethics, so that, that needs to be, the philosophical assumptions in that need to be made uh, explicit. And the Islamic perspective is certainly not secular. So this is a legitimate uh, uh, point you're making. I agree. And I would even uh, go further by my claim that uh, um, uh, secular ethics can be a minority approach, not 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 a universal, not a public morality. It can be even a minority. If if I'm in uh, if I, if if I am in the Middle East, huh, 
you, you have to speak religious ethics. Uh, be, this is what people expect, whether it will be uh, Islam or Christianity or Judaism. This is how people uh, speak. Uh, uh, secularists are not, uh, this are not the dominant voices in Africa. These are not the dominant voices in Latin America. Yes, oh. in Europe and the United States. Uh, and I would say even to a certain extent. When you, when you go to Southern Europe, like Italy, uh, Spain, uh, Greece, you still you have also religious um, um, uh, voices. I, I remember very well when I was giving a lecture in, in Italy uh, about uh, euthanasia and Islamic perspective. I remember I had a slide where I said Islamic perspectives, Western perspectives. Right. And my colleagues in Italy, they were quite angry. Mm. And they said, we are Western, we are Italians, but we are in this category that you call it Islamic, and we are not Muslims. So you can say religious perspectives, non-religious perspectives. Yes, yeah. Well, so so uh, I would say that uh, 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 our colleagues in, in the secular ethics, I, I would say they are doing really great work. Uh, uh, much more advanced than the religious discourse, including the Islamic discourse. So they, they are coming with important insights. But we should have this um, epistemological humility and that also people coming from religious perspective uh, also have something to say and we, we need to listen to each other. No, abs absolutely yeah. right. Extraordinary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, okay. uh, there is one thing, if we, if we go to the applied cases, huh? Right. Uh, we, we spoke now about the, the, the historical perspective, the uh, big picture, approaching the rights and obligations, uh, cat categorization, which category in the hierarchy of beings or maratib uh, al-wujud and so on. Uh, we have so many applications now. When, one of the big applications uh, that already started raising big questions is about the so-called AI-mediated work. Mm. Uh, so jobs, uh, uh, these machines will do specific jobs and, and they started already doing them and most of the time much more efficient. So, so, so uh, what, what jobs are we talking about in, in practical terms? Uh, like for instance uh, robot surgeries. Uh, uh, there are robots that can do so. So, so in, the, in the healthcare for instance they can do. We have socially assistive robots. Uh, that can take care of uh, patients of dementia, uh, uh, patients who are very difficult to take care of. How how would rob how would that help, help patients? Sorry, could you explain in practical terms? Yes, so like like, like one, yes, like for instance, for instance, uh, so some of these things are already on the ground. Uh, some of these things are in in progress yet. Uh, uh, let's think about uh, AI enabled robots. So uh, we can program a robot. Uh, to deal with a patient, uh, uh, we uh, feed all the information, the history of the health record of the patient into the robot, and we give instructions. This person likes this, does not like this, for instance, does not like uh, shouting, uh, does not like uh, referring with your finger all the time, does not like um, uh, giving uh, these gestures with your eye or moving uh, too much your head and so on. Uh, this person likes apple. Uh, hates coffee. Uh, this person needs to have uh, medicine uh, at this time and this moment. A socially assistive robots can do this stuff. And so if we add, 
when you say socialist robot, what are we talking about? This is I'm, I'm trying to get a handle on what we're actually talking about. Oh, no, I, I want to say that because you have the, the technical robots, like doing surgery, so they are not doing social roles. No. So they are doing only technical medical role. So they will see uh, cancer, they will uh, uh, do a surgery to take out the cancerous parts. Right. In a very precise way. But they are not talking, they are not speaking, they are not communicating with the patient. And there are socially assisted robots. Right. These robots will help in the healthcare in general, not only, not only giving an injection. So what we're talking about then in terms of actual, what will the patient see? Will they see like a humanoid three-dimensional? humanoid robot, yes. Uh, human like, robot. Like, like data on Star Trek, uh, for example, who, who will talk and care for them. Yes. It'll be programmed a specific way, you know, to yes. not move in the way that... So you're saying these are actually happening now, are, are they? Yes, yes. And we have now uh, statistics surveys in Europe, for instance, in Europe, if you, most of the surveys that are available now, mm. uh, socially assistive robots mm. are more threatening, uh, are perceived as more threatening than killer robots. No, no. I, I, yeah, I, no, coming back to what the patients actually see. So what, where are these actually being used, these data like androids? I, I, I've not seen them on YouTube yet. What, what, are they in America or in... I think in Europe and the United States, maybe not that uh, common yet, uh, not that advanced yet, but this is what you see in the literature. This is, this is yeah. at least oh, what's I, coming. I, I maybe not on the ground yet, but this, ah, is, this, is, this, is, this is what's coming. And, and coming. what's possible yet uh, can be quite uh, surprising because, yeah. because if, if I put into th this... Uh, the, the neural network of the robots, uh, your social media, all what you have written throughout your life, your WhatsApp and everything, will know your character. Will know your character much better than the closest people to you. Mm -hmm. So we'll be able to handle uh, even even if there are uh, any um, surprises. So you don't have to press a button in, the, in, in it uh, most of the time. What's concerning about this is that human-human interaction will be minimized and will be sacrificed sometimes. So we yeah. have nurses complaining yeah. that taking care of dementia patients yeah. is very difficult. Okay, so let's put out the human nurses and yeah. put instead the, the humanoid robot. It's quite a, a negative idea, quite a negative development because you just can't replace humans with robots. Uh, I mean, humans are not just information data units that can, you know, the, the, yes. the human being is a psychosomatic unity that transcends the sum of its parts. Uh, you know, there, there, there are unspoken ways of communicating. There's caring. There's, I mean, without going the whole list of what it is to be human, replacing that with a, a robot that has all this data information is not an equivalence. It, it, it's not care anymore. It's, it's almost uh, um, avoiding any human interaction, which is, uh, can only be a bad thing for human beings, not a good thing. I mean, it, it's like um, uh, to give a sort of parallel, and I don't want to get into uh, Zuckerman and, and and Facebook. You know, this new kind of fantasy reality that he, he was trying to create. Um, we, we have we have a wholesome reality out there. It's called outdoors. It's called forests and parks and woods, and you know, and, and this is this is reality, and this is much more healthy than an artificial one, which doesn't have all that, those smells and and and. Uh, the breezes and the feelings and this, uh, it, it, it just strikes me as a negative thing. I, I, I can't see anything positive about it, except for you mentioned technical questions of robotics and surgery, for example, that that 
is obviously a good thing. But to replace human beings or to replace the countryside and have this virtual experience on the Facebook, the Facebook kind of, it just strikes me as a dystopia. It's, it's like a nightmare thing because God created this world for us to live in. You know, God created human beings that we should marry men and women, that we should go out and enjoy God's creation. This artificiality is not, I, I just don't see it as in any way a positive element, except in limited applications for surgery or uh, uh, other applications. I'm sure that you could enunciate a lot better than I could. That makes sense. But to replace human beings and to replace the world, that strikes me as uh, quite bizarre, actually. Uh, and I, I don't see it as being popular at all. Uh, I was I was just giving examples that of yeah. of the of the you you asked me what kind of uh, jobs yeah. that uh, AI mm. uh, can yeah. have, but generally speaking, in 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 in, in the eth international secular ethical discourse, we usually have uh, a question about is it assisting or replacing human? Ah, so we will have a robot to help the doctor or a robot that will replace the doctor right. uh, or the nurse, assisting the nurse or replacing the nurse or the pilot. Uh, mm -hmm. Are we going to have an AI pilot or not uh, or assisting, etc. Usually we are inclined to accept assisting yeah. and to be more worried about replacing. Exactly. And if I could just interrupt again, sorry, about the whole thing about pilots. It's interesting. I've been told some time ago, it's actually possible now to have aeroplanes that take people from A to B without any pilots, human pilots. It's technically possible. You, you will not find an airline on the, on the planet that will allow that to happen. You're going to have <laughs> human pilots. Why? Well, I don't need to explain why, do I? Technology can break down. I mean, you know, yes. who, who would feel safe in an aeroplane with no pilots? You know, because it's also the trust. You, you just wouldn't feel safe. You need, because human beings are much more than te te technicians. You know, you need judgment. You need people who can think, who can react outside of the box, who can do all sorts of things that human pilots can do. Um, so I, I like the distinction you have just made between replacement and assisting. And I think that is assisting. Uh, th that makes a lot of sense. But replacing, I think we've already made that judgment when it comes to pilots and aeroplanes. We don't want machines running our, you know, because we want people who we can trust, who are trained well to do it, who have a, a whole range of human abilities to interact in ways which AI can't. AI, I, I know you don't want to get into it, but I don't think AI is conscious. I don't think it has a will. Human beings have that edge. And, and I think no one would trust a, a machine to replace a pilot. Uh, and, and that would apply for a doctor, I would imagine. It would apply for all sorts of things. From, from my perspective, as someone who is in the Islamic ethics, I would go, I, 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 I would go further than uh, this differentiation, assisting and replacing. I would say uh, I expect that AI would threaten the jobs of the vulnerable groups first and foremost. Yeah. Because first of all, AI is very good in any task that can be automated. Exactly. Anything can get, can be automated. The machine will defeat us yeah. very easily. That's already the case now, isn't it? I mean, yes, I, yes. I remember the kid having a calculator, you know, to do maths on. Well, it, that's, it's already assisting there, there. And that's not a new thing. That's back in, you know. Yes. So I can imagine, I can imagine that the people who are collecting the dust then, 
for instance. Uh, 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 the people who are serving tea and coffee in, in some places, uh, these people will be, th their jobs will disappear soon. Uh, an operator, in, uh, uh, um, a receptionist in the hotel, and stuff like this. I would say in Islam, the more vulnerable you are, the more protection you deserve. And the more powerful you are, the more responsible you become. Mm, so, yeah. for instance, in the encounter of a physician and patient, the patient is the vulnerable. Yeah. So this is the one that should be protected, the rights, through the rights. Yeah. And the physician is the powerful because he is the one who has the knowledge that the patient needs. He's the one who decides that the other one does not have this, etc. So we, we put more obligations on the physician and more protection through rights to, to the uh, uh, patient. Here, we have uh, uh, jobs that will be under serious threat. We cannot say, and, and, and this, is, this is a discourse that we see in uh, the tech giants, no worries. In total, the jobs will increase. Yeah. This, this, is, this is the selling discourse. Yeah. Uh, no worries. The jobs will increase. Economy will get better. Uh, you you can stay at home and everything will be perfect. You don't have to work as hard as our fathers and grandfathers did uh, because now we have the machines that can help us and so on. Yes, we will have more jobs, but more jobs for IT engineers, for computer scientists, for data analysts. Yes, and these people will not be trained in an overnight to do these jobs. Mm -hmm. so, so we cannot sacrifice segments of society in this case, the vulnerable groups in the society, in the name of this AI modernization. This is one thing. The second thing is not every job can be done by a non-human. Not only culturally. You, were, you, you see how much you were concerned about socially assistive uh, uh, robots. Mm. But religiously speaking, there are jobs that cannot be done by anyone else than humans. For instance, leading ritual prayers, the imam. Uh, uh, praying is a religious obligation. One of the religious, and religious obligations are addressed from God to humans. Animals are not mukallaf. Plants are not mukallaf. Uh, uh, religiously accountable, I mean, uh, inanimate objects are not religious. So the one who is praying should be mukallaf, and and so so that the 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 the, the prayer can be valid, religiously speaking. Mm -hmm. So you can tell me, look, I will bring humanoid robots who can lead the ritual prayer, will never make a mistake in the Quran, can recite it much more beautiful than any human reciter. Uh, 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 you will just enjoy it. It's not yeah. about this. It's not outperforming the technical yeah. aspects of what exactly. you can do. Yeah, I think you're right. I remember I was in, I was in Regis Park Mosque. I don't know. Was it uh, two or three days ago uh, for Isha prayer? And uh, halfway during the recitation, the Imam who was reciting the Quran broke down into tears, and uh, he sobbed literally. And I thought, my goodness, what's going on? But it was. He reached a passage which was talking about the different fates of the believers and the unbelievers, and it was it was a very very um, affecting passage. And he literally started to cry, and there was a, a pause. It seemed like an eternity. It was probably no more than ten seconds. But the reason I mention that is that this is a very human response to the divine word, and 
an automated machine, however perfect it may be, is never going to do that because it has no heart, has no feelings, has no conscience, has no consciousness. The engineers so, will tell you we can program this, no problem. But I mean, <laughs> no, but you we, can, we can program a robot that can, that can cry sometimes. Yeah, but but that's not real crying. I mean, I, I, I can I can I can train my cat or dog to perform tricks, or my parrot yeah. to cry. I can probably perform my if I had a parrot. I don't have a parrot. You know, <laughs> parrot, parrots can recite the Quran. God forbid, they can actually recite the Quran. If you were to train a parrot, it could recite the Quran. I promise you that. But I can't promise you. I'm sure <laughs> that Quran, that parrot, is not actually understanding. Or maybe he is. I don't know. But do you see what I mean? It's an automated thing. Uh, that human response is uh, of the imam who broke down is is, uh, is is the Quran is meant to communicate God's words to mankind. That's authentic, real. The alternative does it's not real, and therefore it lacks authenticity and value. It lacks that value. Uh, I, I would submit because my parrot could be changed to recite anything. To recite anything, it doesn't mean we have an authentic encounter with the the Quran, which is living and transformative so that that would be for me a big difference and not just with the Quran, but with other texts as well of lesser values as ordinary human recitation or communication as well um i think that's that there's a point to be made about that but i don't know yes my no the the other point that i would like to add here when it comes yeah. to uh, ai mediated work is that the sometimes promised utopia Mm. or dystopia, whatever we uh, approach mm. it, that uh, we will come to a point that machines will do everything for us. Mm. So we'll have a very luxurious life. We don't have to work. At least we don't have to work hard. I don't believe machines, no. machines will do everything. No. I would say this will be problematic from an Islamic perspective, maybe a religious perspective in general, because as humans, we came to earth in order to do something. Mm. We came for Khilafah. Uh, the, uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in the Quran, Inni ja'ilun fil ardi khalifa. So he, he's appointing someone to do something on earth. We have a mission. And uh, the Quran says, God put you in earth and entrusted you with the task of cultivating and establishing civilization on earth. So we are not coming here to be idle. So so the whole idea, even if it worked, and I, I really doubt if this will work, but anyhow, because I have discussions with my uh, the, 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 the young people uh, at the age of my children now, some of my children, and you have this among the, the teenagers uh, specifically. Uh, the, the, the watch YouTube videos and TikTok and so on, and this is very um, something uh, in vogue among them, very fashionable. The, 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 some of them said that we don't have to learn. And because machines will do everything, we don't have to work uh, because earning money is not depending anymore on working hard. The harder you work, the richer you will be. All this stuff. So from a religious perspective, we work because we have to work from God, from the one who created us. We are not working only to get money and, and to get our salary and to buy our food. Work is inherently good. It is not instrumentally good. It is not good because it, it makes us rich or it gives us position or social status. 
it is good because God ordered us to work. Mm-hmm. So th- this is again a religious dimension sh- that should come into the increasingly secularized uh, 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 discourse uh, into uh, into that. But of course, if we if we can uh, uh, help people. Uh, uh, um, uh, doing things uh, uh, when we can. Uh, I'm I'm starting to learn English or I'm starting to learn German, and I have AI programs that can help me learn these languages much faster than before. All this stuff that we can fix the cars much better. We can make uh, planes much safer. All these things they are fine, but with the reservations that um, uh, I mentioned before. So th- this is one of the applications that we will have a lot of discussions about them. I also wanted to highlight these points for the viewers uh, of your channel, uh, hoping that um, I, I'm, I'm currently writing a study about this uh, AI-mediated work ethics from an Islamic perspective, should be uh, published soon, inshallah. Uh, uh, in, in Arabic or English or both? Or? In English, in English. Yes. English. Excellent, okay. Yeah, the study, and I'm working on another study about uh, medical accountability in the age of artificial intelligence, So, because this is also my specialization in bioethics. When we have the smart machines in uh, on, the, on the hospital ground floor, uh, uh, um, uh, who will be responsible for mistakes? Uh, and who will be held accountable, like like robot surgery, for instance. So if something goes wrong, uh, I, I argue in the article, at the end, there should be an accountable human. Yeah, uh, yeah. The accountable cannot be the machine. Because again, accountability is the cliff, and the cliff is something between God and humans. The yeah. other uh, creatures in Maratib al-Wujud, the hierarchy of beings, they cannot be mukallaf, they cannot be held accountable before God, That's not to point. mention before humans. Yeah. So this is this is more or less what I had from my my side. If you have any questions, uh, I'll be happy to. No, I, of course there are millions of questions, but I, I think I, I think it's good just to to listen, to process what you've said, to digest what you've said. Um, and to uh, think about the potential uh, uh, dangers. And I'll talk about utopia and dystopia. I I think uh, human ideas and actions often have unintended consequences. So I I, I may plan to do X and, and, and intend to do X, but actually... X and Y may happen. Why? Well, why did Y happen? <laughs> I didn't. I didn't see that happening. <laughs> and um, because that's life, uh, it's it's complicated like that. And so I, I'm also mindful of the unintended consequences of uh, the uh, revolution in AI, AI as well. And and that's often we can't foresee that. So it, it's there is a hubris there, perhaps not not on your part, but on some people's heart, that we can simply plan for the future and map it out. But Th- things don't always work out as we intended and and that so we need to be vigilant is what i'm trying to say we need to be aware and vigilant of what's happening so that we don't mess up big time um with with uh, unexpected and unintended consequences of our plans and actions so yes and i think uh, this needs uh, transnational transcultural uh, uh, and transreligious uh, collaboration AI uh, is already um, intruding and entering the, almost uh, every aspect of our life, uh, sometimes with permission, sometimes with no permission. Uh, 
And uh, we have to deal with the consequences of this uh, new disruptive shift, if we may call it. And we cannot do this alone. So if Muslims sit alone in order to think, or people in the West sit alone in order to think. So I hope, I do hope, uh, we didn't have this in the field of bioethics. So most of the stuff was um, baked and cooked in the West. And then uh, yes. uh, in the rest of the world, uh, we have uh, either to join uh, the civilized world or to remain behind. And whenever you try to have a religious idea into this, they say, oh, no, but religious is particular morality, not public morality. I do hope that with the AI, we learn from these yes. lessons. I don't think it's a global discourse without religious discourse. No, I think you're right. I think I'm optimistic there. We're, we're seeing a move away from a unipolar world centered on not yeah. just the West, but America and to some extent in Europe to a multipolar world. I mean, we want to know about China, Russia and BRICS, this new uh, uh, alliance of, of, of non-Western countries. So I, I think I, I'm seeing an, an emerging powerful Muslim world now in Qatar, what's happening in, in your country and in Saudi and other places. We're seeing some um, some big developments. Um so I, 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 I'm optimistic. I, I think Muslims or the Arab world, which is not the same thing, of course, because most Muslims are not Arabs. But anyway, the Muslim Arab world is um, <laughs> w- will be uh, will be able to, inshallah, uh, punch up its own weight or above its weight eventually. I think you'll get there eventually. It's very good to uh, end with this optimism. <laughs> inshallah. Yes. yes inshallah. I, I, I think it's 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 seeing uh, it, it could still all go wrong, but I, I'm the, the good indications that it's not going wrong. And your country, Qatar, uh, and there are a few, a few others are doing incredible. Uh, they're, they're first world countries doing first world work. So in a sense, you've already got there. It's just it just needs to be more integrated internationally, as you say. So yes. uh, and uh, inshallah, that will happen. So thank you very much indeed, uh, Professor Mohammed Ghali. Extremely interesting and timely and relevant. All the cliches, but it's all true. <laughs> and. Yes. Uh, and uh, you're obviously a, a scholar to watch as well. You're producing uh, content not just in Arabic, but in English, which is great. So you're embodying this aspiration to be truly international and integrated in, 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 in scholarship. So you are doing, you're walking the, the talk. We're talking, the, walking the talk. That's the right word. Um, so thank you very much indeed uh, for your time. Thank you. Really thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy and delicious breads, buns and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. This is your invitation to a masterclass in engineering and design. Your ticket to go from zero to 60 with the Lexus Performance Line. A feeling this dynamic is invite only. Fortunately, you're invited. Experience the exhilaration of the Lexus Performance Line and some of the best offers of the year on select models at the Invitation to Lexus sales event, now through April 1st. Experience amazing at your Lexus dealer. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. 
And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.